All right. Come on back in. Looks like the kiddos are uh, out in their classes. Come on up, Alan. I'll give you the microphone here. Come on back in and we'll continue our service today. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right, Mike, good morning. Uh, Tab is getting a well-deserved vacation this week, and that's good, right? Yeah. And we're glad he is. And he and Song have been able to get away and have an adventure together. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm one of the elders here and have the privilege to bring God's word to you today. So, if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, please turn to Ecclesiastes 11. We're going to continue in our series in Ecclesiastes. Two weeks ago, Tab brought us Ecclesiastes 10, showing us how wisdom is both valuable and vulnerable. And this week in Ecclesiastes 11, we want to look at how wisdom can be applied to life's choices. This is called wisdom for life's choices. So let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, may we hear with joy what you have to say. Amen. And Alan will read our passage. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if the tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will die. Where, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. We live in a world today with more choices than ever. And it's made life complicated. You don't believe me? Just go to the drugstore and try to buy toothpaste. There are 30 different brands of toothpaste. I was in Rite Aid and I picked up Aquafresh, extreme clean and whitening action. And that sounds great, doesn't it? Who doesn't want that? But then, but then, no, 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 I saw Colgate, Optic White, Optic White, with 10 times the whitening power. Well, that sounds even better. If you don't have flash, a flashlight, you can just open your mouth in the dark and see where you're going. And I almost bought that. But then I saw Crest, 3D White. Your teeth will be incredibly white, but only people with special glasses can see them. There's the herbal variety, breath freshening, anti-plaque, fluoride, no fluoride, original formula, or cool fresh with flavor crystals. I can't decide. So I close my eyes, I say a little prayer, I reach out, 
and grab the first one my hand touches. And I walk away knowing that this is the toothpaste for me. And oh, gross, this is the baking soda kind. I must not have heard God's direction correctly. So I'm putting it back, and I'm leaving the store without toothpaste. Now, I, I know that example is really kind of silly. But can you identify with it just a little? Do you struggle with life's decisions? How do you make the big choices in life, or even the little ones? This passage in chapter 11 tries to answer this for us. The preacher assumes we want our lives to count. He knows that you want your life to have meaning. You want your life to have purpose. So he brings us to this passage with wisdom on how to make life's decisions and live well with them. If you look carefully at the format of your Bible, you will find that verses 1 through 4 go together as kind of a poem or maybe a proverb of the day that the preacher has pulled up for us. This proverb tells us to use wisdom for the things that we know. Let me say that again. Use wisdom for the things that we know. Verse 1. <clears throat> Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen upon the earth. Cast your bread upon the waters. Now, I, I don't think he's literally telling us to throw bread into water. That's kind of dumb. And, and bread sinks. This is more likely an idiom of the day, like, you know, when we say, don't miss the boat. We're talking about a literal boat. We're, we're, we're saying, don't be late. So, so if that's the case, what is the idea behind this idiom about bread and casting it on water? The NIV translates it this way. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you, shall receive a you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Now, I researched this a little bit, and the NIV translators make some, some really broad assumptions here that, that are not literally in the text. But I think they got it right. The Bible tells us at this time Solomon needed building materials. He was building the temple, and he was building his palace, and he needed to get them from somewhere. So 1 Kings 10.22 says that he started sending ships out into the sea, loaded with the harvest to trade for what he needed. The ships were gone for as much as three years, and many of them sank. So... Splitting your cargo up amongst seven or eight ships was a really good idea. If you put everything on one ship and that ship sank, that would be a disaster. So the poem is probably talking about shipping, 
But the idea can be applied generally to anything in life. The passage is telling us, cast your bread. It's telling us there are things that you need to do in life. And it says, don't do them recklessly. Think it through. Take proper precautions when disaster is a real possibility. That's what I think he's saying. Think it through and take proper precautions when disaster is possible. Now there is another possible, another popular interpretation of this passage. And I don't think it's right. But I want to mention it anyway because an extreme application of this teaching has done some damage to Christians and to the reputation of the church. A well-known televangelist tells us that casting bread means giving to his ministry. Have you heard this? Now, I'm, I'm quoting here from one of his sermons. I'm quoting here. This verse in Ecclesiastes can transform the future for you and your loved ones. God does not need your money, but you, you can secure tomorrow by planting an uncommon and extraordinary seed, a portion to seven and to eight. Unquote. <laughs> he says that giving to his ministry will obligate God to give you a return on your gift and to protect you from disaster. Let me be clear. That is not what this verse means. God does not need your money. But that televangelist does because he needs to make the next payment on his private Gulfstream jet. And desperate people who feel insecure financially would send their last dollar trusting that in return God will provide them with financial security. And when that doesn't happen, they're taught that it's their fault because they didn't have enough faith. Now, if you're listening to someone who teaches that, please stop and, and, and don't send your money to them. This kind of teaching is not leading you to a truthful understanding of who God is and how he works. Now, given those two alternative interpretations, I, I tend to think we have it right. The preacher is telling us there are things you need to do in life, but think through them. And take proper precautions when disaster is possible. This is common wisdom and sounds a lot like the Proverbs. The preacher wants us to use wisdom for the things that we know. So what else do we know? The passage goes on. Verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north... In that place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Verse 3 is telling us there are 
obvious things that you can see. If clouds are full of rain, it's probably going to rain. Better do something about that. If we see a tree fall, we can come back a few years later, and it will probably still be there. There are things that you learn through education and experience. God gave you a brain. Use it. Now, this, this all seems very, very straightforward. But how many times, how many times have our emotions overcome our brains? How many times have our emotions overcome our brains and caused us to do something that we regret? A friend, I was having lunch with him, and he once confided to me that he had just taken a huge, huge loss on an investment. This man is a sophisticated 65-year-old attorney who had saved millions for his retirement. He had diversified his investments, just like Steve Farrington will tell you to do. <laughs> but this one investment that he had it kept giving him a better return on his money every year, year after year, better than anything else. So one day, at 65 years old, he made an emotional decision. And he unwisely moved everything he had into that one fund. Madoff Securities. This is a true story and incredibly sad. Yes, Bernie Madoff. As you may remember, Bernie Madoff was running a Ponzi scheme that collapsed in 2008. My friend lost everything he had that day. There was no money left. Everyone who invested with Madoff Securities lost everything they had. And what a hard, hard way to learn verse 2. It's 65 years old, he needed to diversify his investments to avoid disaster. But verse 3 also applies here. Many of Madoff's victims said, we should have known. We should have known. These returns that he was giving year after year after year were two to three times normal, and, and Bernie Madoff never had a down year. The problem was obvious to anyone with experience. Verse 3 says, if clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Everyone knew something was wrong, but the temptation was too great. And greed overtook these people. And thousands of investors, the ones who should have known better, jumped in and lost $65 billion. Now, greed is one emotion. Fear is another emotion that can control our decision-making. Verse 4 warns us against fear. It warns us against considering all these risks and just deciding to do nothing. Verse 4 says, He who observes the wind 
will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. That's true. There are bad days to plant. Too much wind and the seed blows out of the field. But if the farmer waits for the perfect day, he might never plant. If he waits for an entirely clear sky, he may never bring in the harvest. And both of those mistakes lead to no crop and complete disaster. The Living Bible paraphrases verse 4 this way. It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. So what he's saying is, if you know you need to do something, there comes a point when you just have to get out and do it. Procrastination and constant worry, they're not going to get you anywhere. Don't wait for the perfect time. You'll wait forever. Instead, take advantage of the time you have and make the best of it. So what does this mean? What does this poem mean? What does it mean for a 22-year-old college grad who's looking for his or her first job? Well, wisdom says, don't just take any job, but also don't wait for the perfect job. Do something. Do something. Ideally, find an entry-level position that leads you toward the job you want. How about a young couple? Young couple considering buying a home. Now, I don't even know if that's possible today. Is, is that possible at all? But that's a big decision. Where do you buy? How much can we afford? What does the financial stress do to our family? Or how about the older man deciding when to retire? I quit my job last week. I did. <laughs> yes, Alan, I did it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, my home group is applauding, I think. <laughs> we, we've talked about that for quite some time together. It was, uh, my last day is November 3rd. It was kind of funny to be processing that decision while writing this sermon. God has a sense of humor. Uh, but, but really, really, this whole process brought a roller coaster of emotions. But I was anchored by a few good friends who had different experiences and different education, who helped me to make that decision. And I think it's important to mention that God gives us these people to bring perspective for those decisions. So, that's the poem. Verse 1 to 4, they're, they're like a proverb, right? He says, take precautions to avoid disaster, use your education, experience, and your brain and I'd add on, and your friends, and don't wait for perfect conditions because you'll never get anything done. Overall, he's encouraging action. Cast your bread, sow your seed, reap your harvest. He wants you to live your life. And that's good wisdom for the things that we know. It's even a little inspirational. 
Ah, but this is Ecclesiastes. And the preacher is not going to let us get away with a simple proverb, is he? No. Wisdom, he says, is good. Wisdom raises the chance of a good outcome. But this world, he says, is unpredictable. Life is complicated. We have to make decisions without knowing the future. So he goes on in verse 5 to tell us, trust in God for the things we don't know. Use wisdom for the things we know and trust in God for the things that we don't know. Now the preacher moves on from quoting a poem or a proverb and now he speaks directly to us. Verse 5, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You do not know. He says that three times in these two verses. You do not know. There is a lot that you do not know. You can do all the right things. Do everything the poem told you, and it may still turn out badly. Life is uncertain. Yet he tells us still here to act. Sow your seed. Do that in the morning and the evening. That means whatever you decide to do, do it with intentionality and effort. There is so much that you don't know. But don't let that keep you from making decisions and living your life. So what do we do? When we face important decisions, and the best choice is unclear, what do we do when we're facing those things that are really crucial, and the choice is unclear? Well, we pray. Our prayer should be guided towards discovery of the truth of the situation and illumination from God to make decisions with wisdom. Then we live with that decision. Verse 6 tells us to act with intentionality and effort and trust God for the outcome. Trust God for the outcome. How can we trust God with that? Well, verse 5 tells us we can trust God because he makes everything. The preacher is intending to show us the power of God. That tree out there, God made that. The sun in the sky, God made that. The clouds that drift over your head, God made that. Everything you see, everything you experience, God made that. Have you seen seen these new pictures from the Webb telescope? Have you seen them? They are amazing. Stars are forming, some are exploding. 
galaxies are moving and rotating. And we see galaxies colliding with one another. Hundreds of millions of stars coming together. It's all amazing. God made that. Even more, he sustains it all. Colossians 1.17 says, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and get this, in him all things hold together. He makes everything, and he holds everything together. You know, even the Webb telescope, it doesn't show us everything. There's only so much we can see. What we can't see, it may go on forever. And who holds together even the things we cannot see? God does that. Who puts the spirit into the child who's in the womb? God does that. You know, you were once that child. God put your spirit in your body. He knows you better than you know yourself. Do you think that your problems are too big for this God? He knows the outcome of every act in the future. He is sovereign over the past, the present, and the future. Now, unfortunately, many of us have been taught something just a little bit different. Many of us have been taught that we bear responsibility for the outcome. We've been told that God has this perfect pathway for us that leads to God's favor, fulfills our destiny, and brings success in life. This perfect pathway is called God's will. If we can just place ourselves in the center of God's will, then our lives will be successful and fulfilling. Have you heard that? I, I, know, I know I was taught that one time. It's not found in the Bible. Still, it seems so spiritual. You know? So, so we pray, and that question about God's will is carried into everything that we do. So we're aware. A timely road sign. A friend's comment. Even a cloud formation. All these things, they might be clues into revealing God's will. Some might even set a Bible on the table, and, and I've seen this happen, okay? Some might even set a Bible on the table, let it fall open, and see what verse they land on and see if it gives them the answer. And that's the theology of many Christians today. But it's not right. And God's word is not a magic eight ball. 
What happens to your faith when you decide something based upon this concept of God's will and it turns out badly? Do you then, do you mistrust God for leading you there? Do you doubt your own faith and your ability to hear from God? Do you live in fear that the next decision might lead to disaster if you fail to correctly discern the will of God? Wow, what an enormous weight to bear. The preacher in Ecclesiastes he wants to free you from all that. Let's look again at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, You do not know the work of God. Trying to figure out the work of God, he says, is like trying to understand how the Spirit comes into an unborn child. That's a total mystery to us. Even with all our science, we don't know how that happens. Verse 6 tells us, you do not know which will prosper, this or that. If you make a decision in good faith that just turned out badly, don't multiply your pain by wondering if the outcome was your fault. The preacher tells us this this. Stuff just happens. Now, wisdom in increases the chance of a good outcome, but it still might go badly. And if it does, that is not because you failed to discern God's will. What about God's will? I know the term God's will is in the Bible. So I'm still not sure you're right about that. Well, let's go there. Let's go there. And find out what God's will really is about. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. Now, I hope that's clear. The will of God is the renewal of your mind, your transformation. The will of God is that you would more and more walk, talk, and think in the ways that honor Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 uh, says it with even fewer words. And it's pretty clear because it says, the word of God is, okay, that, that, that's right, right? The word of God is your sanctification. The will of God is not a mysterious pathway for us to discover. The will of God is your transformation into a person who honors and obeys Jesus. Do you recall Matthew 6.10? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will 
is to see the things that are happening on heaven to have those same things happen on earth. So, if you desire to do the will of God, seek first to become a disciple of Jesus. John 15 tells us that obedience to Jesus and abiding in him leads to joy. That, my friends, is the wonderful plan for your life that God promises to you. Now, maybe you're hearing this. Maybe you're hearing this all today, and you're thinking, it's just not me. You don't understand. I've made some really, really bad choices in my life. And what you're talking about, walking, talking, ways that honor Jesus, that looks, that looks nothing like my life. My life looks more like rebellion against God than obedience. My life is such a mess. God would not want me. Now listen carefully to this. If that's you, listen carefully to this because it's the most important thing you can hear in your life. You are a mess. I'm glad you know that. And you are exactly who God wants. Let me say that again. You are a mess and you are exactly who God wants. Look around here in the room. Everyone here is kind of a mess. We're all here for one reason. Jesus made a way for us. Remember what he said? Verse 5, God makes everything. God makes everything. And that includes a pathway to salvation for us. We don't make that pathway through wise choices or righteous living. He made a way for you to be accepted and forgiven from whatever choices you have made, from whatever you have done. Those who trust in God and repent of their sins are never forever lost. Whatever you have done, whatever decisions you have made in life, the God who makes everything has made a pathway for you. And if you want to talk to someone about that, there will be a few of our leaders up front after the service. Come on up and talk with them. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe, maybe you're already a follower of Christ. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you made reasonable and well-intentioned life decisions and they just turned out badly. Let's not pile on unnecessary guilt. You did your best. Things just happen. You didn't miss God's sign. Give yourself a little forgiveness. Give yourself a little grace for that. 
Or maybe you're a follower of Christ, but you're struggling with sinful choices that you made. Those choices have made your life a mess. I want to remind you and ask you to remember that the gospel is for you too, every day. There's a song we sing here that that speaks to that, and and it goes like this. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. This is wisdom for life's choices. Look, we use wisdom for the things that we know. Following that wisdom can increase the chance of a good outcome, but life is unpredictable. So we trust God for the things that we don't know. And ultimately... That life we look for, that life we long for, God is the one who makes and sustains everything. And he has made a pathway for us through his son. Trust in his son. Trust in him alone. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so very grateful that you have made a pathway for us to become reconciled to you. We value the wisdom you have left for us in your word, but know, we know that we don't make a pathway to you through wise choices or righteous living. That pathway only comes through your son and his sacrifice on the cross. Maker of everything, we worship your unfathomable power and glory. Help us to avoid taking on burdens that we are not meant to carry. Help us to put our trust in you that every day, more and more, we might walk, talk, and think in ways that honor you. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We want to take the Lord's Supper this morning and invite the servers to prepare and come forward. We want to take the Lord's Supper as an expression of faith. So we invite them to come forward now and let, let's, let me pray for us before we take the Lord's Supper. Father.